Okay, we're in week four of five for our city. And can you say this is my city, whether you live in Smithsburg or not, like me in Boonesboro? When you say it's mine, you take responsibility for it, right? And that means you take responsibility for all the mess. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. We're going to give you a specific area of need, uh, families in crisis, especially children in crisis. So I'm going to share my time with um, Ellen Savoy. Some of you know her. She attends our first service. And she'll tell you about herself and show us a video about her area, which is foster care. Thank you, Ellen. <clears throat> I'm going to age myself. So November the 7th, 1979, a two-and-a-half-month-old baby was brought to my house, my husband and I, our house. We had been married three years. We were told we could not have children, and so we went the adoption route. My husband is black, white, and Native American, stands 6'6". And we were considered very wanted because in the late 70s, no one wanted to care for an interracial child. She is now 40 years old and still living in my house. I started coming here in 1998. I started working at San Mar Children's Home in 1988. In, I don't remember, we became foster parents for a girl who was in the group home. Um, that didn't last long. It was a nightmare experience. But um, then I became the director of the treatment foster care program of San Mar in 2004. I started the foster care program in 1992. And that's where my passion is. I tried to retire last year. Um, they gave me a retirement party, got gifts. And then I was interviewing people to take my job and I didn't like any of them. So I told my staff that you've got me another three years and we'll see what God has to say after that. In Maryland, in 2007, there were 10,330 children placed in out-of-home placements, removed from their parents because their parents could not or would not provide a safe place for them to be. That number dropped drastically in 2012 because a big shift in child welfare determined we were taking kids out too soon, keep them in the home, try to provide in-home services to families to support and build up the families. Um, in the country, in 2017, there were 442,995 children placed in out-of-home placements. That's a lot of kids. Why were they moved? Homelessness. I worked with a, um, a mother who um, has schizophrenia. And then I was asked to do family therapy with she and her daughter, who was 13, and I realized the focus of my attention had to be teaching the 13-year-old why the mother did the strange things she did. She had many delusions. Incarcerated parents, mental illness, abuse, neglect, drugs and alcohol, even in Hagerstown, human trafficking. Unaccompanied children, today there is more than 3,917 in Maryland. 
In my foster care program, I have two. Their parents are in Guatemala. They talk on the phone. The young bars were foster parents for us. I've actually had six foster parents in the Smithsburg area. There are some great people in Smithsburg. For you to understand what I do, and my job is to teach people how to care for hurting children, we're going to see a video. It is painful to watch, um, but let's watch it. Wow. Foster care, adoption, just part of the crisis, family crisis in our communities. For our city, we all have what I call untouchables or invisible, and maybe foster ch children were invisible too until this morning. For most of us, they were untouchable. We didn't or wouldn't consider it something we, won't, we know about, we don't want to think about. So let me ask you, who are your untouchables and who are those invisible to you? We all have them. Certain people that I won't be around. Maybe it's drug dealers, drug addicts. Maybe it's the elderly. Maybe it's special needs community. Maybe it's families in crisis. The world is messy. Our communities are messy. They're inconvenient. And all of us nice, nice, comfortable lives. I understand that. But did Jesus have a nice, comfortable life? He would have never left heaven, would he? So when you see people, do you see problem? Or do you see solution? Do you even notice? So many people in our community are not noticed. So, again, families in crisis are part of our communities in crisis. So we're going to look at a story about Jesus, how he dealt with two different situations, kind of together or simultaneous, and uh, kind of draw some conclusions from that. So this is right after Pastor Clint talked about last week, casting out the demons, and then the story picks up here. Jesus got into the boat again and went to the other side of the lake, Sea of Galilee, we call it. Not very big. We've been there this year. It uh, wouldn't take very long. We rode across it in about, uh, <laughs> I don't know, 15 minutes. Uh, probably rowing would take a little longer. Uh, but you can walk around it. So there's a large crowd that gathered around him on the shore. So either they walked around or they just, a new group gathered on that side. Then the leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus, arrived. Now you have to understand, this is the most important person in the town. It would be kind of like the mayor and the, the lead pastor of the biggest church and the principal all, all combined. Because he was responsible for the worship in the church, synagogue. He was responsible for the school in the synagogue. And he was responsible for running local government. He was probably also a Pharisee and Jesus and the Pharisees butted heads. They didn't get along. So this next part is amazing. It says, when he, he this uh, leader of the synagogue, saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. Now for a man of such importance and stature, 
to bow before anybody would be huge, right? But here's the reason. My daughter is dying. And when your daughter's dying, all the other stuff doesn't matter, does it? He said, please, come lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. This is like my only hope. We may not agree theologically, but you're my hope. Without this, I'm without hope. So Jesus went with him. And the people followed, crowding around him. Now here's the other ingredient in the story. A woman in the crowd suffering for 12 years with constant bleeding. Now, we don't have this theology in our culture, but in their culture, when a lady is bleeding, she's unclean. All right? In fact, she needs to walk around and say, unclean, unclean, so nobody touches her. And if somebody touches her, they become unclean. So this went on for 12 years. She had been ostracized for 12 years. And the story goes on. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. Not putting doctors down, but it was difficult for her. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. Most of us would do to try and find a solution to our medical issue. But she had gotten no better. And it's interesting. In fact, she had gotten worse. So 12 years of trying. So you can imagine the hopelessness this woman had. There's no cure. There's no hope. Except, again, she'd heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowd Touched his robe, where he thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. This is my little glimmer of hope. And immediately the bleeding stopped. <clears throat> and she could feel her body, that she had been healed of her terrible condition. I just, I just can't imagine this. Suffering some major illness for 12 years, and all of a sudden it's instantly gone. Can you imagine? So Jesus realized at once that the healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? <laughs> Let other people answer. How do you think Jesus said this? Did he say it angrily? Hey, somebody touched me. Power went out from me. Do you think that's the way he said it? No, I don't think that's the way he said it. He got angry other times, but I don't think he was angry about this. As someone said in the first service, he said it in love. Who touched me? Touched my robe. It's interesting that he did, she didn't literally touch him. So maybe he got past the unclean thing. I don't know. His disciples said to him, look at the crowd pressing around us. How can you ask? Who touched me? This kind of, disciples kind of often in a scenario. How can we feed 5,000 people? How can we do this? How can we do that? Logical question. Kept on looking around to see who had done it. Now, in my theology, I knew who, he knew who done it. So he was allowing an opportunity for her to come forward, right? So then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her. I'd be trembling too, I would imagine. She came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. Let me ask you a simple question. Did touching his robe cure her? Trick question. Don't answer did the touching the robe heal her? Now Jesus tells us what heals her. And he said to her, Daughter, not your touch, your faith has made you well. Go in peace 
Your suffering is over. Wow, fantastic. Your faith. So I put this on your outline. Faith that is not put in action is not faith at all. So let me just hypothetically. If she believed Jesus could heal her, but never touched him, would she have been healed? Seems like the answer is no. So we sometimes fall in this trap that we think faith is a mental thing. It's an intellectual thing, but it's also an action thing. And without the action, the intellectual or the mental part doesn't prove useful. So if you believe Jesus is the Son of God and died for your sins, and does that mean you're going to go to heaven? Not necessarily. You have to put faith in that. You have to act upon that, which means you, it changes your life. We'll talk about that at the end. So we want to talk about connection. Foster kids, everyone needs to be connected. So to connect, we need to lift people up. We need to first notice them, then we need to be involved with them, and then we need to encourage them and honor them and help them. They need personal connection. Now, here's the problem, though. Sin sabotages every relationship, doesn't it? That's what's so amazing about marriage. You've got two sinners <laughs> trying to be, be uh, at the most intimate level here on earth. But any relationship, sin, causes us to be selfish and self-centered and so forth. It sabotages every relationship. So what we need most, <laughs> we sabotage. And it starts off with a relationship with God. We all need a, a personal relationship with God. And until we get that one right, this one's really, this relationship here, person to person, is even more difficult. But Jesus did what, we, what was required to fix us. <laughs> so we can have meaningful relationship with him and then with others. We can overcome this selfishness, this sinfulness. So lifting others also must be personal. Must be personal. We're going to pick up the story. Um, just after this, this guy from Jairus' household comes to him and whispers, hey, 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 you don't need to bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter's dead. And interesting, picking up the story in the scriptures, it said of this, Jesus overheard him and said, don't be afraid. Now, if you just have found out your daughter died, it'd be more and worse than fear. It'd be grief, right? Don't be afraid. Just trust me. Now, once your daughter's died, your hope is gone, isn't it? And that's the problem with much of our society culture. It's just so much hopelessness. Whether you move from family to family and trying to find someone who will just love you for who you are, as in foster care, be any other situation where it just seems hopeless. Your marriage seems hopeless. Your relationship with one of your children seems hopeless. Some addiction seems hopeless. And she said, okay, just trust me. So then he goes to the house and, and the crowd is mourning and he says, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. She's not dead. She's just asleep. And notice the crowd's response. <clears throat> The crowd laughed at him. <laughs> we saw her die. She's not breathing. She has no pulse. So he kicks them all out. He makes them all leave. 
And he took the girl's father, mother, and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. It's probably a small room, so it's probably pretty crowded. Six of them are in there. Then it, this, the scripture tells us, this is Mark. Mark says, holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Kaum, I don't know proper pronunciation, but it, this is what it means. Little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. Here's an understatement. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Have you ever seen a dead person come back to life? I haven't. Now, one way to look at all this is as an interruption. First, Jairus interrupts Jesus at his teaching, and then this woman interrupts him by touching her. So Jesus saw interruptions as an introduction. An introduction to, to hope, to something better. So his interruption was their introduction to hope. Now, let me ask you, do you see interruptions as introductions? A potential introduction, especially not just to you, but to Jesus? See, we are to be Jesus. If you're a Jesus follower, you and I are to be Jesus. He's not here anymore. We're his representatives. If you're not, we're, we're delighted that you're here, and hopefully you will become a Jesus follower. So when people meet us, they're meeting, it's like meeting Jesus. I like the way Mother Teresa put it. She said this, let no one ever come to you without leaving better and happier. So, whether it's an interruption or not, can you say that? Can I say that? I, truly, I can't, but I would like to say that you always leave better and happier. Be the living expression of God's kindness. Kindness in your face, kindness in your eyes, kindness in your smile. Let me just ask you, how hard is that? That shouldn't be that hard. So when people interact with you and I, how do they leave? Do they leave encouraged? Do they feel lifted up? It needs to be personal. And lastly, it needs to be practical. Lifting others up must be practical. Jesus healed the woman. Jesus talked to the woman. Jesus talked to Jairus. He went to Jairus' house. He raised his daughter to life. So I like to say these weren't just interruptions, they're divine appointments. And can you, do you see your, do I see my interruptions as divine appointments? An opportunity for that person to experience God's love, God's power through me. And let me ask you a simple question. Does lifting others up lower us? No, just the opposite. If we lift others up, it lifts, also lifts up us up. So let me finish with this. Knowing Jesus changes everything. It changes our inside, which it changes our outside. It changes our, our relationship with God, which allows us to change our relationship with other people. So whether it's, I don't know, who are your untouchables? Who are your invisibles? Foster ch children? Uh, the elderly, um, some other racial group, uh, some other uh, economic group, special needs community. Who is it that you and I need to not treat as untouchable, not to treat as invisible, and say, this is my city. This is my 
family. This is my community. This is my responsibility. And so I'll ask each of you, and I'm not saying everybody here is going to be foster care parents, Ellen, but maybe some of them. And I know some are just teenagers yet. So we give me daily Bible readings. Hopefully you're reading these during the week. And then we have a challenge for you. This, we only got two more weeks. So for the next two weeks, <clears throat> well, the rest of your life, hopefully, but we're giving this assignment. For the next two weeks, commit to active act of neighboring, art of neighboring, excuse me, act of, <laughs> art of neighboring. Next, next slide. Caring about being good neighbors to the four closest location, out homes, and people at work and school. You're going to get to know them, serve them, and friend of those whom Jesus called you to love. And, I, you know, we've been doing this for several weeks. I'd like to get some feedback. How's it going? Who have you met or who have you reconnected with or made a new connection with or deeper connection with? That's our challenge. So let me pray with you. The praise team will come and give us a, song, a last song and we'll let you go. Uh, Father God, this was a disturbing, disturbing uh, topic. We all like our uncomfortable little houses and homes and lives. We don't like to think about all the suffering and the families suffering around us. But it's real. And we know you care about it, God, so we need to care about it. So I don't know what that looks like in each of our lives. Maybe some here need to become foster parents. Um, need to be involved in some community, uh, part of the community, that they thought they should leave be untouchable or even unaware of. So God, through your spirit, we just ask that you would bring knowledge and conviction and obedience and we would serve you in these areas. And those without Jesus, we would just pray, God, that they would accept that gift this morning. Right now, whether they're watching this or here in person, that they'd understand that it changes everything. The guilt, and shame for, for what we've done in our lives is forgiven and gone. It empowers us to love like Jesus loved. How amazing is that? And it's a gift from you. God, we thank you for your presence here. Just do your work in, in among us, not just during this song, but as we leave this place. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.